0: Was Corey and I'm Katie King, and this is True Crime Crime New England. England. Welcome back. Welcome back to If You Guys Are Not Noticing, it's episode 100 of True Crime New England. 100 that's three digits. How are we here? I am physically ill. Episode 100. Remember when we were so excited? We were at like episode 15, we were like, all the work. We've done. It's been a crazy journey. And now we're at episode 100 and we're like, what's up, fuckers? <laughs> still here. Still kicking. Back for another day. <laughs> and so soon after our two-year anniversary.
1: I know. Oh, my gosh. If you guys did not listen to our special anniversary episode, um first of all, go back and listen to that because we put our heart and soul into it, uh, as we do with every single episode we <laughs> produce here. But
0: also because... It's very interesting to see the growth between year one and
1: year two. Yeah, and we also put in a special announcement in there for you guys, which, I mean, we'll just tell you now, but you're late to the party if you haven't heard,
0: so this isn't a surprise. But We have merch now. We have
1: merch now. How many times have we talked about merch on this podcast? I would say for at least the last two years. Exactly. <laughs> approximately. And we finally got it to you guys. It's on our website under store on the little header, and we have a lot of fun items for you guys. A lovely listener and friend of the pod, Mare, designed two out of three of the merch designs. They are very personal to us and the podcast. Yes. And so good. So good. Inside jokes. If you guys go on there and don't know what two out of the three designs mean, uh, go back to episode one and listen from there. Right. Right. My favorite, and
0: I was so happy you were good with this idea, Katie. And now that it's been launched and stuff, I can finally like just say it. But when I presented you with the idea of having merch that just was I heart the mob, I was nervous what you would think. That you'd be like, no, because then they'll think we're attacking them or whatever. But God, when I would like say it to like my close, like my family, my cousins, be like, we're thinking about merch. We want to do this what do you think like I would get ready to say what do you think but they'd already be laughing and I was like okay okay that means that's good if you listen to the show then you obviously like know that we love the mob and then it's funny and so I'm really excited that we have I heart
1: the mob merch I think it's so perfect and it's kind of like I heart and new y- I heart NY I heart New York but obviously we did it in our signature font yeah the design is a little different. We're not ripping anybody off. It's right. like completely our own. Yeah. And it's it's one of my personal favorite inside jokes on this podcast. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of you guys have messaged us and said, Oh, it's so funny when you guys talk about <laughs> your love, quote unquote, for the mom. <laughs> We're not scared of them at all. We love right. Them so much. <laughs> I think I'm gonna get one of the I heard
0: the mob mugs and I'm going to bring it to work and just have it in the cabinet. Cause you know, we have like most places, we have like a communal cabinet of just mugs. And I think that would be fucking awesome. People be like, whose mug is this? Like, <laughs> doesn't matter. We all love the mob here at this
1: birthday. It's suite. just it's- so funny. It's so good. And then of course, one of the other designs, I mean, we'll just tell you now is a swear jar. It looks. Oh, good it's so funny and all of the little details too if you guys zoom in on the coins in the jar there's swears I on the it. coins they're censored censored of course but we have a sticker version of that we have a that design on a couple other different things that you can check out mm-hmm. and then of course our logo of course you
0: had to and honestly guys we also have the ability to make personalized like that's what we like about the website we're using is that we don't have to book by 50 items and then that's like the baseline like you have to have a minimum of 50 or whatever we can do individual so like if i wanted to make us a yoga mat i could go on there right now and order two of them for you and me katie it's so cool so i'm like talking to my my family like what do you
1: want i can make you whatever like my boyfriend wants a hat i'm like sure i'll make you a hat I can do that. Yeah, because we can do orders on the website. We can either do order and put on your website or personal order where we can like use our designs, do whatever. Mm -hmm. So honestly, if you guys are looking on the website for something in particular and you don't see it on there, message us. I feel like we have enough of –
0: like we don't have so many people knocking down our doors to have merch that we can't do that at this point. I feel like we could very easily be like, sure, we can do that for you.
1: Yeah. And honestly, if we make the item, have it sent your way and you guys just like Venmo us or something, we can make it so easy. So easy. And plus, as we
0: mentioned in our special episode, this is a first for us. We've never been a part of anything that required making merch. So it's a learning curve. We are just now learning what it Takes to have merch made and the processes behind it. We apologize. We have no control over the shipping fees. They are, it depends on what you get, but they can be steep. And that is much to our disdain after hours of scouring both Squarespace and the website we're using for merch and like watching videos and reading the frequently asked questions and just, Mm -hmm. you know, talking to the help desk. Like we are, there's nothing we can do about the shipping. I swear, we tried.
1: Yeah, but I will say, you guys, the prices of the items themselves, I mean, I personally feel as though they're reasonable. I also do. We are not making a profit off of these. We had someone spend like $45 and we made a dollar and 30 something cents yeah so genuinely we are not doing this for profit we're just doing it for funsies and we're doing it because we've gotten requests and we just think it's a fun thing to do and we are not laughing all the way to the bank when you guys are making bonuses on like an i heart the mob sticker we're laughing we're we're laughing because it's funny (laughs) we're also crying because we really are not making a ton of money from this but you know we make money from ads the money from our ads. We're putting right back into the podcast, whether it's donating, whether it's for merch. So it doesn't really matter to us that we're making like a dollar, two dollars for every order, if that. Yeah. But yeah, we really are just doing it for funsies. And we hope that you guys go on and check out and see what we have and give us your feedback always. It's so fun. We're having a lot of fun with it. And like I said, the
0: personal orders that we can do just make me so excited because i'm gonna make so much stuff
1: i'm so excited
0: this comes around forget it everyone's (laughs) getting a true crime new england coffee mug or everybody's repping everybody's repping true crime any it's kind of ingenious if you think of it like everyone's gonna be promoting those you know so thanks guys if you purchase something we love you yeah just a little extra
1: and speaking of loving you guys a little extra we have our bias a coffee segment of course diane c bought us three coffees for liz your scarlet fever and for my crazy vet bill thank you thank you so much diane we've been struggling a little so thank Thank you you. (laughs) and heather r bought us four coffees and also in heather's little message heather told us to say fuck more
0: Fuck yeah. Fuck yeah, Heather. Thank you. That was great. Great (laughs) message. Both of those, thank you so much. That's very kind of you. I was under the impression that my insurance would cover urgent care visits, but it does not. Same. So thank you, Diane. I appreciate that. (laughs) Of course, Heather, I fucking enjoy your contribution as well. That's very, very kind. So thanks, guys. Thank you guys so much. And in true celebratory fashion, as this is episode one. 100, we had to do a whopping
1: case. Had to. When we were choosing what case we were going to do for episode 100, who was a daunting task. We are going to Connecticut this week, so mm. we really wanted to go big or go home. There were not a whole lot of options, right? but what better way to bring it on home than do an event? An event. Something that I think... I
0: can speak for you, Katie, as well. Some of our favorite episodes, because they just,
1: it's just so much. And it's true crime, but it's true crime in a different way. Yes. So we like to switch it up. We like to talk about how these things happen mm-hmm. and just go through a crazy, crazy event. Yeah. Guys,
0: I highly, highly, highly recommend sticking around. This episode is going to be long, but it's going to be really fascinating. And without further ado, today we will be covering the The Hartford Circus Fire. Episode 100 is going to start exactly the same as they always have. Katie, what are your sources?
1: I've been waiting. Oh, my sources today, I'm starting off. How could I not? Wikipedia. 100 episodes, 100 Wikipedia mentions. 100%. (laughs) That was good. Thank you so much. Wow. <laughs> as well as ConnecticutHistory.com, today I found out.com, latimes.com, giffordfire.com, and my all-time favorite next to Wikipedia, circusfire1944.com, which was an entire website dedicated to the fire, the event itself. Tons of photos. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. A list of all of the victims, information about every single one of them. Highly, highly, highly recommend. Yes. Don't leave and go there yet. Listen to the episode and then go on their website for more information. It was just, I could spend hours on there. I feel like I did. It was fantastic. I too use that as a source. Once again,
0: CircusFire1944.com. Very interesting, very factual. They even had um personal testimonies on there, yeah. which was heartbreaking to read, but very interesting. I used the Scholars Collaborative, an article about the Hartford Circus fire, through time. I also used an article from Medium, the Providence Journal, Today I Found Out. And I also used a document from the National Fire Protection Association. Fantastic. It was very interesting, and you could tell it was written before there were... Like a lot of technologies to write it on, but it was interesting. <laughs> Katie, it would be probably the best thing ever regarding this episode if you began by telling us what was happening, the scene. Set
1: us, bring us there. Would you? We're going to hold hands, all of us, all, all 100 million of us. <laughs> Just kidding. And go back to 1944. Everyone? Close your eyes. Unless
0: you're driving, please keep your eyes open. I'm going to bring you back to 1944 in Connecticut. The ocean nearby on the coast, it's not quite polluted yet. It's still kind of blue. As you all know, there is no such thing as color. The world is in sepia tone, if not black and white. In the distance, you can smell the bombs from World War II. People are screaming on the other side of the ocean. And uh, I don't think the atomic bombs have quite dropped yet. Oh, yes. But in this town, this
1: day, so far so good. World War II in full swing. So most of the men were off fighting in the war in some way, shape, or form. So the elderly, the women, and the children were holding down the fort at home. So, because most of the able-bodied men were off with the war, the Wrangling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Circus had also been dealing with a lot of shortages of both staff and equipment. Nobody was immune at this time. Not even the largest circus in the country right. was immune from the effects of the war. Yeah. Back in the day, the circus traveled from town to town by train, and it took place under the classic red and white striped big top. Did you know I actually
0: saw a tent like that very recently? Really? Yeah, there was a circus at the Portland, believe it or not, the main mall in the parking lot. Yep, a big, it wasn't huge. It was like a fairly small tent, but it was a traveling circus with that very same big top tent. Wow. Yeah, I was a little
1: scared. That's crazy. (laughs) Yeah, right? It had become pretty common for there to be some kind of issue or delay. And July 5th, 1944 was no different. The circus pulled into Hartford, Connecticut so late that the first of the two scheduled shows for that day had to be canceled. Which
0: is unfortunate. And, you know, when it's it's 1944, there's no other way to communicate that than posting a big sign in front of the circus that says, Sorry! So that kind of sucks because people probably, I'm almost positive, went and were like, no,
1: shucks. And had to turn around to go home and come (laughs) back. Exactly. Right? So even though everyone had gotten used to delays and issues because there's a world war going on, missing a show completely was considered to be very bad luck, and it was actually superstition in the circus world that if you missed a show, something bad would happen. Interesting. It turned out that superstition was not wrong. Dun-dun. On Thursday, July 6th, 1944, exactly 79 years ago today that this episode comes out, by the way. Exactly
0: 79.
1: Not planned. Not planned, but interesting. The crowd for the 215 show was piling under the big top. As we already established, most of the men were off in the war. So the crowd was a vast majority of women and children. And you gotta remember those elderly people who just wanted one last hoorah.
0: I don't know if it was like their dying wish or anything, but they probably didn't do much.
1: (laughs) Exactly. There's no real record of approximately how many people were there that day between attendees, circus crew, and also especially it was common practice to hand out free tickets the day of performance to fill up seats, drum up business. A lot of the crowd were also people who were supposed to be at the previous day's canceled show, right? So the most accurate estimate that we've seen about how many people were in the crowd was roughly 7,000 people. The big top could easily fit 9,000 people underneath with room to spare for the three rings for a classic three ring circus, right? Now, back in the day... We had really piss-poor precautions and fire safety standards, and we know that a lot of rules and regulations around fire safety and safety in general are based off of shit that went wrong. Right. Just as a preface. And, you know, this day, it's the beginning of July, it was
0: hot, it was humid, it was 90 degrees at noontime, okay? And people were ready for some entertainment, as you do, because what else are they going to do besides vacuum. Do they even have vacuums? I don't know. So many people arrived early because yesterday's show had been canceled, so people were ready. They were ready. And because of this, the circus employees skipped through some of their routine maintenance and their routine precautions because they had to get moving. This included watering the grounds that the tent was actually standing on and removing certain obstructions from each of the exits of the tent. In fact, most of the exits had, quote, runaway cages, which were put in place in case an animal escaped during the show, so to catch them, essentially. Okay, that makes sense, I guess, but, like, what about the people that are going to run that they had no idea? They're going to want to escape the
1: show as well? I don't know. The Big Top itself was coated with 1,800 pounds of paraffin wax Dissolved in 6,000 U.S. gallons, for those not following the U.S. metric system, that is 23,000 liters Thank you of gasoline. Mm. Because what else would
0: keep something fireproof but making it a giant candle?
1: <laughs> this actually was a common method used for waterproofing, which, I mean, wax and gasoline, yeah, I could imagine if it were to rain... That baby is not getting a drop of water on that canvas. If it was to rain, that rain would have no chance.
0: They were good. Thank God the rain couldn't get into their little
1: circus. Wouldn't that be tragic? The big top had also been set directly on top of freshly mowed grass and dirt that was then covered with hay and wood shavings. Awesome. Two things that are definitely not super flammable. To get inside the tent, you would obviously go in through the main entrance as you pass by the ticket booth, but there were eight other side exits, like you said, Liz, that were barricaded by the runaway cages. Keep all of this in mind. Just
0: keep it in your noggin. It'll very quickly make sense as to why we are sarcastically smiling, as you could probably tell in our voices. The show kicked off a little after 2.15 p.m., just barely behind schedule, with the band playing the Star-Spangled Banner. How else would you start it? A. It was just July 4th, big day. B. The world is crumbling beneath their feet, and America is a part of it. And, I mean, just how else do you start a show? It gets everyone in the mood. And following the Star-Spangled Banner, showgirls in bright yellow outfits, everywhere, Dancing, they're so cute, they're they're modestly dressed, their ha- their hands are flailing, but their bodies are appropriate. It's just a beautiful show. The animals started to appear, including lions, polar bears, and get this, Great Danes. The elusive Great Dane. I don't know, I guess because they were so big, people extra short back then, I don't know. Also, The well-known aerialist and daredevil family, the Flying Walendas, were taking their positions high in their swings and their trapezes. They were very well-known. They were like a main act at the circus. People traveled to see them. It was a big, big show. A lot of fun when people didn't die of fire problems. They were actually like 30 feet off the ground, so they were pretty high up. They had an aerial, no pun intended, view of the whole circus. It was so far so good. It was like... 240 at this point. Things had been going great. The showgirls were cute and the lions were tamed somehow. And like I said, 240 was when the fire was first spotted. Just a little tiny ball on the side of the tent that actually the Flying Walendas noticed because they were so high. They had a great vantage point. So they were like, me oh my, there's a fire down there. They pointed this out to the staff as quickly as they could. Like, oh, there's a fire, you know, somebody, we got to start working on getting that out. So the band leader, who was a man named Merle Evans, he had the band play a song called Stars and Stripes Forever, which was a way to tell the employees that this was like a part of the circus, that something was wrong and that the audience had to evacuate, but it was a way to do it without causing alarm. So while the employees are like, oh shit, he's playing... The song.
1: Like, the distress signal. Right.
0: The audience is like, yay, it's America. Patriotic. We love the circus. And then before they even could be, like, concerned, the fire is, like, abrupting. Now everyone sees the fire. And a lot of people, just like we talked about in a previous episode, thought that the fire was a part of the performance. Oh, so fun. We're not in a giant tinderbox. This is great. The fire had begun near the ground, immediately south of the main exit, roughly 20 feet away and on the outside of the canvas. Initially, the flames were five to six feet high, and it started to spread real fast. Three buckets of water, good effort, guys, were thrown on it, and it didn't seem to have any effect. And you have to remember, it's 1944. The Bucket Brigade was what handled fires still. You had a line of people with buckets of water, and you would just pass them along that wasn't working. The fire grew so quickly, and before anyone could say anything, the flames reached the top of the canvas tent, which of course was carried further into the underside of the tent, and now the inside the outside, it was all becoming engulfed in flames. You would think that their waterproofing methods would have had a a stop, right? Oh wait, no, they
1: made it a candle. Fred Bradna, the ringmaster, started telling the audience not to panic and to please leave in an orderly fashion. But because the fire was spreading so quickly, it shorted out the power. So he was using this microphone, Mm -hmm. telling everybody, all right, guys, please evacuate to your left. Nobody panic. And then it just cuts out. Right. And so he's looking around. He's like, well, shit, I guess I'll start evacuating people. Right. So you have circus staff throwing these buckets of water on the fire not doing jack shit yeah now you have circus staff realizing okay the water's not doing anything Mm -hmm. maybe we can isolate the fire so they start hacking away at the canvas yeah the burning canvas to try and maybe cut down the part that's burning Mm -hmm. so that it doesn't spread that's not working nice idea good idea good effort good effort So everybody just kind of gives up on trying to put the fire out because there's no use in that anymore. And they just start evacuating people out from underneath the big talk.
0: Oh, yeah. The fire department was contacted at 2.43 p.m. and they arrived within moments. Their response time was great. And they were immediately throwing emergency responders into the rescue. People were going crazy, like trying to help, but it was too late. The fire had spread so fast that all of the people that were there and all the animals and all of the just happenstance of the circus was too much. And so even though the response time was great, the fire was far too big for anything, any effort at that point. I think maybe in this day and age could have been more done, but where they were then, it just wasn't doable. Now, of course, people were panicking and they were running and they were trying so hard to get out of this tent. They were pushing, they were shoving. Not to mention it was super shitty visibility because of the smoke. And they're all trying to get out of this tent that also had exits blocked from runaway cages for animals. They're, like, panicking. They're screaming. People are getting hurt real easily just because of the conditions of this whole chaos. Yeah.
1: So, while I was doing research, and I'm sure you guys are sitting here listening, thinking, oh my god, a circus has animals – What's happening with the animals? Because that was one of my first thoughts Absolutely. was Hartford Circus Fire, how many animals died in the fire? Right. Holy shit. Thinking about animals as they're burning, trapped in their cages, freaking out, yeah. not being able to run away. Yeah. Just to reassure everybody, the only animals underneath the big top during the fire were the big cats because the Lions and Tigers Act had just finished right before the Flying Walendas had gone on. Mm-hmm. So- how most animals got in and out of the big top were through chutes that connected them to the cages in the circus and then back to the wagon cages, mm-hmm. which if you guys think about the movie Dumbo or like the classic box of animal crackers with the cages that you would hook on the train, right? That was where the animals were at in their own separate animal tent. Right. So the animal handlers and the lion tamers and all that good stuff, they were able to get the lions and tigers through the chutes, into their cages, out from underneath the big top. No animals were harmed. A couple of the big cats sustained minor burns. Um, so no animals died in this fire. But because of the chutes, those blocked two of the eight side exits. So people saw these big cats... Being escorted out. Oh, let's go that way. And then it actually blocked people from getting
0: out. Right. And uh, while well, I'm, I'm very glad no animals were injured I, or killed, that's fantastic. You know, my, my little animal heart is just so happy. I think their cages, uh, I, I know their cages prevented a lot of people from getting out. Without a doubt. And that's really sad. Very soon into the fire, the chaos of the audience trying to escape the fire itself the conditions, everything, the fire had done so much damage that burnt and flaming canvas pieces were falling from the sky, essentially. And you also have to consider that while people were trying to flee, they were also being covered not only with burning canvas, but dripping paraffin. So it's like if you, when you blow out a candle and there's all that wax, like it's pooled up until like the wick, if you just blow out a candle and immediately poured it on your head, times like 45. Very scary. Like people were getting so injured, which makes it in turn hard to escape Mm -hmm. amongst the other reasons, of course. Now also, not to mention that a tent is on, it doesn't get its shape just from being a tent. It's on wooden supports, at least back then. And so now the fire, because wood is, you know, you burn, it burns really well. These Supports were collapsing at a very rapid rate, just falling on these people, crushing them, burning them. By 2.50,
1: approximately 10 minutes after the fire started, the entire Big Top had collapsed. So as people were evacuating from underneath the Big Top, thousands of people got out, of course, because there's as far as we know, around 7,000 people underneath. Which is a ton. A ton. People were flooding out the main exit. People were taking pocket knives, slicing through the canvas tent, going out that way, pulling others with them. Mm -hmm. But there were also people who ran out, looked around, realized little Timmy must still be in there, yeah. or little Sally was hiding underneath the bleachers in fear and didn't know which way to go and there's everybody's running and screaming, so family members were running outside, going back inside for their kids, their grandma, right. You name it. There's people in the tent who are not evacuating at all because they're pushing past people who are running out to look for family. Right. And then you have people who in the beginning of the fire just assumed that the fire would be put out and the situation would be handled. So they didn't even get up from their seat. And it just happened so fast that they that that choice was their demise. Right. Because they sat there till the last minute like, oh, this must be part of the show or they'll get a handle on it and the show will go on. Right. I paid good money for my ticket, damn it. Like, yeah, right. <laughs> this is World War II and we have rations and this is my way of having fun. Like. Right. So there were hundreds of people still inside, Mm -hmm. underneath the tent, and the tent finally just collapsed. Yeah. On top of hundreds of people. Absolutely. It was raining, melting wax. Yeah. You can't see for shit, you can't breathe. Oh, absolutely not. People are getting trampled, left, right, and center. It is just pure chaos. It's a massive crowd crush situation. Over 700 people were injured and 167 people died. The tally for how many people were injured is most likely not accurate because a lot of people left and went home in a state of shock. Right. And they just didn't get medical attention. It's rumored that the death toll was 167. Some sources say 168. But the 168th person, to be considered a fatality, was actually determined on the collection of multiple dismembered body parts Mm -hmm. collected around the circus grounds after the fire. Yeah. So these body parts were disposed of at the hospital the next day, (laughs) but medical examiner Dr. Weisenborn said that the body parts were determined to be one left foot from an adult, one from a 10-year-old child, also a left foot, one scalp with brown hair and the brain still attached, one adult's left hand and another separate adult left foot. So that obviously
0: basic math. That's one person. Right? That's what they're saying?
1: You have two left adult feet, a child's left foot, someone's hand, brown hair with a brain on it. And so the medical examiner said, We're just gonna cross out the fact that these body parts are from multiple somebodies, say that they were from one somebody, and say that this person was number 168. Which is the final death toll. So stupid.
0: Because, like, even if that was, like, a member of the circus who was a part of the, you know, freak show. Thank you. I doubt that they had two adult left feet and one child's left foot. Like,
1: there's no way. Oh, my God. I know. Was it, like, a conjoined twin? Right. That's what, right. And then the medical examiner was saying that the body was crushed from a pole that had collapsed Mm. and then burned beyond recognition and that it was one person. But the body parts themselves, like the breakdown, was left off of the coroner's report and the death certificate. So people were just saying, "Oh yeah, 168."
0: They were. I think they were really overwhelmed, of course. But like, that's not a good excuse. Like, clearly, that's more than one person,
1: right? And the fact that they just brought these parts to the hospital and the hospital was like, put in the incinerator. (laughs) Like, we don't need this scalp. Yeah, what if you have a body that's missing a left foot and the body was a 10-year-old girl? Like, oh, let's mash this part with that. Like, please.
0: Right. Fun fact, that's not at all fun. 63 people who died in the Hartford Circus fire were children under the age of 15. Very sad. And like you said, Katie, we talked about it. It's World War II. No adult, it's just kids and their
1: families. Like, it's not, it's a circus. Kids love the circus. It's terrible. 71-year-old Catherine Kulik, 39-year-old Evelyn Sartori, and 47-year-old Anna Thompson are not commonly considered as fatalities of the fire, but all three women died later on from injuries or complications that were ruled to be a result of the fire. Right. Catherine, 71 years old, elderly lady just trying to enjoy the circus, had a heart attack a few weeks after the fire on September 14th. Oh. And she never fully recovered and passed away on September 30th. Wow. Evelyn was injured after falling down the stairs while trying to escape in the fire. She had a cerebral embolism that killed her a year later in February. Wow. Her doctor believes the injury during the fire aggravated her pre-existing heart disease and then led to her death. Wow. Anna Thompson was burned on over 28% of her body, and she required extensive medical treatment, Mm. multiple surgeries, months and months and months in the hospital. She died from a pulmonary embolism as a complication from one of the surgeries in July of 1945.
0: Wow, a whole year later, huh? That's crazy. As far as the day of and immediately contributing to the death toll, it was like, five minutes into the fire a local hospital called the municipal hospital got the first phone call from the police saying that they needed ambulances like asap and by two fifty-five, about 15 minutes after the fire started and five minutes after it ended really or collapsed a slew of rescue vehicles began arriving at the hospital with victims within the next 80 minutes so literally within two hours of this fire 143 patients were admitted to this municipal hospital. Wow. 5 of those people had died en route and were dead upon arrival and another 6 died within an hour. Nearby was the Colt armory and it was quickly turned into a makeshift morgue and also that turned into an identification center. Fun fact, this is this is very not fun. One of the hospitals that received patients is St. Francis Hospital, which we talked about in episode 94, where pedophile Dr. George Reardon spent 30 years photographing and molesting little children. As for the Colt Armory, because they were near like an army base and its sudden turn into a makeshift morgue, people were waiting outside this facility like, I could not find my little brother. My sister went to that circus, and I haven't heard from her or her 16-year-old son. You know, things like that. So people were waiting outside this morgue for days trying to identify their family members. Each unidentified victim was given a four-digit number, and they were laid out on cots, and they were carefully looked at by doctors and dentists, making notes and keeping extremely sporadic records for possible identification. The bodies were being separated by age and sex, which honestly must have been pretty difficult considering the, uh, A, the, the severity of their injuries, and also the fact that most of these people were women because of the men being gone. So that doesn't really help. And also, most of them were children, too.
1: Yeah. So it's like, okay, there's that's so broad, you know? Oh, my God. And it's just, it's pure chaos because for every body that you're tagging and writing details for, there's got to be five or six more just coming at you. Exactly. Like, okay, another truck just unloaded. Let's get those sorted too. And you haven't even gotten through half of the ones that you already have laid out. Exactly. And it was difficult
0: to make identifications for a few very obvious reasons. A, it was 1944 and the technology was not even really a thing. If they had even wanted to use fingerprints – and they, they wouldn't have been able to because most of the people's skin was charred and burned. Anyone else who maybe had like a paper ID on them, that was gone. It was burned. It was completely burnt. Jewelry, though, did prove to be a big help in identifying a lot of people because those just didn't burn. It was jewelry. So that helped. But also, like, sometimes jewelry is pretty similar. So that's still kind of difficult. Three days after the fire, there were still approximately 32
1: bodies that remained unidentified. While, of course, a lot of the deaths were related to severe burns, smoke inhalation, there were also people that died of their injuries from jumping off the tops of the bleachers. People had died from crowd asphyxiation as everyone was frantically trying to push and shove to get through to exits. Right. People were trampled in mass hysteria and found in piles of other bodies up to three bodies deep. Ugh. Especially by the main exit and entrance, really. Right. Miraculously, there were a few survivors underneath the bodies of those that had been on top of them and taken the brunt of the burns when the tent collapsed. Right. There's also people with like half their face melted off from where a chunk of the melting wax fell on them. Right. The beams and the supports were falling. People were getting crushed by them and then burnt underneath. Absolutely. And they were trapped. Yeah. It's just horrific. Mm -hmm. And something out of my actual nightmares. hundred percent. Just being in a crowd, suffocating, fire, no escape, pure chaos, panic. You can't see, you can't breathe. Absolutely not. And I just cannot imagine what those people
0: were going through in their last moments. It's horrifying to even think
1: about. One of the most famous victims of the fire was a little girl who was known as Little Miss 1565. She had blonde hair. She was wearing a white dress. Everyone was shocked at how little damage there was to her face. 1565 was the four-digit number assigned to her body at the morgue. Like mm-hmm. you said, Liz, that was their way of tagging people and trying to get them identified. Mm-hmm. Even though her face wasn't badly damaged and she could have and should have been easily identifiable, she was buried in an unmarked grave because nobody claimed her body. Sad. In 1987, someone left a note on her grave that read, Sarah Graham is her name, 7638 date of birth, six years, twin. There were also notes on gravestones near where she was buried that indicated that her twin brother and other relatives were buried near her. Hmm. This was never proven, but this was a theory as to this girl's identity was that she could have been six-year-old Sarah Graham. Hmm. The craziest part
0: about Little Miss 1565 is that she was actually found alive initially at the scene. And then she was brought to the hospital, municipal hospital, and she was treated, obviously, as much as they could. But she did die actually the next day of her injuries. So you would have thought she'd be identified. And, you know they had her physical description which there is a picture of her of her face of her body really and it's her face like you said there's very little damage you can very clearly see her profile and her hair and they believed her eyes were blue just it's difficult to determine given her you know th- what happened but they believe it was blue and she also had most of her baby teeth still which made me so sad her picture was sent to literally every single elementary school in connecticut and it was also sent to orphanages and welfare societies that were nearby people were like how can this little girl not be identified she was so
1: distinct and she was so freaking like she looked like she was a little cutie she must have been a little cutie what a gorgeous kid and they determined that she wasn't even burnt well right. i mean she had minor burns mm-hmm. of course but her cause of death was being crushed in the crowd and trampled right, right. Which is devastating, yeah. Arson investigator and Hartford Fire Lieutenant Rick Davey published a book in 1991 called A Matter of Degree, The Hartford Circus Fire and Mystery of Little Miss 1565. And he actually, in this book, identified Little Miss 1565 as eight-year-old Eleanor Emily Cook from Massachusetts. Eleanor's brother, Donald, who was nine years old at the time, had reached out to authorities in 1955, saying that little miss, 1565, was his sister. When nothing came of it, Donald later went on to work with Rick. They compared hair samples. They revealed that it was the same person. Eleanor's body was exhumed and buried in 1991 with her other brother, Edmund, who also died in the fire at age six. Eleanor was known as a very sweet little girl. She loved dresses, ribbons in her hair, anything to do with cats. Investigators would leave flowers on her grave in hopes that she would be identified for 47 years before Rick Davy published his book and said, it's Eleanor Cook. Mm-hmm. Only problem was, <laughs> in 2001... Stuart O'Nan published a book Mm. called The Circus Fire, A True Story of the American Tragedy, Mm. where he said that Eleanor Cook was brunette Mm -mm. while Little Miss 1565 was blonde. Mm. They had different face shapes. And he actually said that Eleanor was body number 1503 in the morgue Hmm. and that another family could have easily mistaken Eleanor's body as their own child's body, buried Eleanor instead. And left their child's body unclaimed in the morgue. Hmm. And there was not a lot of that, but there are instances where that easily could have happened, due to burns, facial disfiguration, really poor technology. So there is theory that parents claimed the wrong bodies for their loved ones.
0: And I saw a picture of Eleanor Cook, and in my opinion, I think it looks just like the little girl. Really? Yes. I think I think it does. I maybe we can post put it on the website, but I think it is her. I at least think that it's more possible. Of course, there is no 100% conclusion to this. And in fact, Eleanor's mother, Mildred, denied that that was Eleanor until the day she died in 1994. Wow. She said that she saw that little girl's body in the morgue and did not think it was her daughter. So, (sighs) very interesting.
1: I also saw that Eleanor's mom, Mildred. Yeah. She said that because she lost two of her kids. Yeah. You know, Eleanor, we don't know where she was at. Yeah. They buried her 6-year-old Edmund and yeah. then her oldest son Donald. She had taken the three of them to the circus and she said that after that, she had recovered in the hospital from severe burns. Yeah. She said in the hospital she was holding 6-year-old Edmund's hand until the hospital staff came in, took him away because he was deceased. Right. She was so traumatized that she was blocking everything out, did not want to think about anything. So some people think that Eleanor was, in fact, Little Miss 1565 and vice versa, but that Mildred was just saying, no, 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 I don't want to think about it. I don't want to revisit this trauma. Right? Let it lie. And the fact that Donald was saying, this is my sister. My sister is Little Miss 1565. Yeah. It's so crazy and sad. And- very, very sad. Like we talked about at the beginning,
0: there's this great resource called CircusFire1944.com, and there is a a little blurb for every single, every single victim. So I went through and I just chose two random ones, just to kind of add something. It ended up being that I chose two people that were actually relatively young, but I'll tell you first the story of four-year-old Sandra Louise Logan, who was found dead at the circus grounds on July 6th. Sandra went to the circus that day with her mom and her grandmother. And according to Sandra's mom, Lillian, they were running from the fire and she had Sandra under her arm. But then Sandra fell from under her arm and was trampled to death. And she ultimately died after being trampled and then burned as she was left there. So sad. So I'm reading through all these victim stories and I'm like, this is fucking terrible. And I just chose two random ones. Like, these are just two. It's so sad and they all met a very similar fate. Another victim of the Hartford Circus Fire was 29-year-old William Lee Curley. He was from Euclid, Ohio, and was actually on vacation visiting Hartford as he had lived in Hartford before. On the day of the fire, William initially escaped with his eight-year-old son David, but outside he told David, wait, buy the car, get out of here, and then he ran back in to help others in need. According to witnesses, William was seen helping people over the animal chutes by the exits when the supporting pole connected to the parts of the canvas at the top collapsed and landed on him. I know, isn't that awful? So I was just I was just reading these and I was like, each of these stories are so similar but so different.
1: Mm-hmm. How tragic. There were some notable survivors as well. 11-year-old Maureen Krekian was supposed to go to the circus with a neighbor and the neighbor's daughter, but they left her behind, which is so sad. Yeah. So she made her way there on her own. Yeah. Yeah. She described the situation by stating, quote, this ball of fire just got bigger and bigger and bigger. By that time, everybody was panicking. The exit was blocked with the cages that the animals were brought in and out with. And there was a man taking kids and flinging them up and over that cage to get them out, which I think could have been the guy that you described. It really could have been. I was sitting up in the bleachers and jumped down. I was three quarters of the way up. You jumped down and it was all straw underneath. There was a young man, a kid, and he had a pocket knife. And he slit the tent, took my arm, and pulled me out. Maureen said that multiple people were hacking holes in the canvas in the tent and just running out, grabbing whoever, shoving people out of the holes that they cut. Yeah. And Maureen said that as she was being dragged out by this guy – she just reached out and grabbed someone. It happened to be a little girl, mm. and she pulled the little girl out with her. Yeah. Frida Pushnik, who performed with the circus as the armless and legless wonder, like she literally was born without arms and legs, and went to join the circus as, I guess, part of their freak show. Money, money, right. exactly. She had a disability, and that's that was common back yeah. then. <laughs> people with disabilities or people with, you know, they were born with maybe one arm was smaller than the other or just kind of quote unquote disfigured in some way or like the bearded lady which someone with maybe polycystic
0: ovary like i find personally offensive as someone with (laughs) polycystic ovary syndrome but i guess it was a different time and i feel bad for this woman because just because she didn't have any limbs
1: doesn't mean she was a freak she was just a person exactly but she was like fuck it i'll join the circus i'll make some bank i'll have people take pictures of me i'm gonna do what i gotta do why not so because she had no arms and no legs. She legitimately was in a chair. She can't get up and go anywhere. She can't wave someone down for help. So she's seriously, I know. Right. It's so awful. Right. So she's literally just in a chair on stage in a sideshow. Like anybody? Hello. Yeah. And another performer rushed on stage, lifted the chair she was still sitting in and carried her outside on his shoulders. Ugh. And she actually was not, I'm sure she was traumatized by that, but she actually continued to perform at the circus for like another decade. I did not know that. Wow. The great Walendas, who somehow got down from the high wire... Because part of their whole thing was there's no safety net underneath them. Right. So they got down off the high wire and they were hacking holes in the canvas. They actually saved hundreds of lives because a couple of them band together and pushed cages out of the way from one of the exits. Another one had a massive hole in the canvas. So they truly, they saved hundreds of lives. Amazing. One of the most famous images from this event Was Weary Willie, who was a clown played by a man named Emmett Kelly, and he was photographed because news travels fast. People were coming just to take pictures. The media was outside. Oh, yeah. He was photographed with his dripping clown makeup, charred clothes, sprinting to the big top with a bucket of water to try and desperately help. And this photo became one of the most well-known from the fire and was published in several newspapers. Under the title, The Day the Clowns Cried, which is so tragically poetic, in Mm -hmm. my opinion. I really
0: think that's beautiful in the worst way. So awful. As for the damages, the 19-ton big top was sitting on a previously vacant nine-acre lot. And, like we said that day, it's unsure how many people were there, but the rough estimate is 7,000. And that's not necessarily including all the performers and the employees. It really could be anywhere from 6000 to 9000 roughly. It was estimated that the damages from the fire cost the circus anywhere from $200,000 to $300,000, which in today's money would range as low as $3.4 million to as high as $5.2 million. Eventually, the circus was ordered to pay the victims and their families a total of $5 million, which in today's money would be $86.2 million, in damages.
1: As for the cause of the fire, it is still to this day unclear as to what happened. Some investigators initially believed it was from a cigarette someone threw out just carelessly while it was still lit. Mm-hmm. However, a lot of people believe that the fire was done intentionally by an arsonist. In 1950, a man named Robert Dale C. G. was being investigated on other charges of arson around New England, actually. Mm-hmm when he admitted to starting the Hartford Circus fire. He was just 14 years old when the fire happened, and he actually, some accounts say he was working for the circus. The way that the circus was back in the day, it attracted drifters. Sometimes people would just ride along with the circus and do manual labor, maybe clean out the animal cages or help out in some way, um, lug stuff, help pitch the big top or whatever. Right. And then when they got bored, they could hop off the train really at any time and just go into whatever town the circus was at and right. pick up work there. Right. Robert told police that he had a dream where a native American was riding on a flaming horse and told him to start setting fires. He was convicted in Ohio in 1950 for the other arson charges and received 44 years in prison. A lot of historians and investigators believe that Robert didn't actually start the fire because he was very mentally ill. Yeah. It also couldn't be proven that he was in Connecticut at the time just because people with the circus did whatever they wanted. Some of them, they drifted around, they picked up work here, hopped back on the next train when the circus came a year later. Right. So there's really no account holding him to Connecticut in 1944. Right. Which to me, it's 1944. We don't even know who exactly was at the circus. Right. He could have easily been in Connecticut at the time, but investigators don't think so. He also later ended up recanting the confession and was never tried. Hmm. Interesting. On July 7th, a day after the fire actually
0: happened, five employees of the circus were arrested. They were charged due to the fact that management had failed to have proper fire preparation in place in the unfathomable chance, which nobody, I guess, thought would happen, that a fire were to occur. It was also discovered that all of the fire extinguishers in possession of the circus were buried in a storage cart. No. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they were too busy. They, had, they were late. They had to get ready for the show. Additionally, the fire trucks that the circus owned were far too far away from the fire to actually even be used. So that was good. All five of the men pleaded no contest and were subsequently sentenced to a year in prison. Only four of them ended up serving time, interestingly enough.
1: After this fire, it was decided that circus tents had to be treated to be fireproof as opposed to waterproof. Oh, oh, we're not supposed to make it
0: just, okay, rain. Oh, we're not supposed to douse the tent in literal gasoline? You're telling me that rain isn't going to hurt us? It's just going to maybe cancel the
1: show and not kill hundreds of people. Well, I don't know if I believe that one. You're telling me that the show will still go on even if we're underneath the big top because we're underneath the big top and out of the rain? Wait a second. Can't this tent already prevents rain from coming in? Can you believe it? Smoking was no longer allowed inside any kind of cloth or temporary structure. Again, that's, wow, crazy stuff. Groundbreaking fire personnel had to be in attendance at all times and wait for it this is one of my favorites Mm. exits could no longer be blocked what damn it the exits had to be available
0: you had to be able to exit through the exit this is fucking ridiculous first they take away my rainproofing then they tell me i can't smoke a flammable object in a flammable cloth room that's they're taking away my rights as an american we're already short staffed, damn it. The war, the, wa- the war, the bombs, the children. Ironically, the Ringling brothers and Barnum and Bailey performed under the tent for 12 more years before finally retiring the deadly canvas and moving inside buildings. Hmm, hmm, how about that? Hmm, good thing they could smoke inside buildings. <laughs> Just gonna say, and the buildings had roofs. I was just going to (laughs) say. Those are pretty rainproof. They really were
1: concerned about water. I don't know why. I know. And honestly, too, they're smoking inside these buildings that did not have fire sprinklers yet. Very true. So they're just playing a whole other ballgame. I I can't. I don't know. In 2002, the Hartford Circus Fire Memorial Foundation was established and began preparing for a permanent memorial to be made to the victims of the fire. This was started on the 60th anniversary of the fire on July 6th, 2004 at the site where it happened. Ringling Brothers and Barnum & Bailey Circus visited Hartford during its final tour ever on April 30th, 2017, and they had their all-together final show just a month later. Wow. They no longer are performing. At all. I'm going to say something very controversial right now. Good. I'm completely with you. They said that part of it was just people were not as enamored with the circus anymore. And a lot of it was due to pressure from animal rights activists, which.
0: Hello. Yeah. I was going to say like what somebody, a lady with a
1: beard isn't going to bring attention anymore. People with limb differences, that's not going to bring attention. (laughs) Right. Oh, no, I don't. I don't find an elephant being zapped with a shocker to get it to move forward and stand up on a ball exciting and thrilling and okay right Mm. 2017 that's a lot later than i would have guessed right yeah they are thinking about bringing back the circus but without animals which i mean i guess i'd be fine with okay but what about isn't like half of it also staring and pointing at people more different (laughs) so
0: they're gonna have some trapeze artists cool maybe somebody has like a hula hoop with fire
1: yeah or like a fire breather sure great that's four minutes, i sure, <laughs> maybe. This event remains one of the deadliest fires and the single worst circus disaster in U.S. history. Insane. About the Hartford Circus Fire, especially, especially, especially about the victims. We recommend, I mean, we've said it throughout the episode, circusfire1944.com. They have a plethora of of photographs, details about the events, the aftermath. They list every single one of the victims. There's paragraphs and paragraphs. It must have taken years, years years to even find stuff about these people that died, let alone say who their children were that outlived them. And they're remembered by this and they did this. And they were from here traveling to the circus with their five-year-old. And it is phenomenal work. Yep. And they also have a lot of information about the six bodies that are still unidentified to this Mm -hmm. day. Three of them are kids. Three of them are adults. So it would not be a bad idea to read more about those guys, Mm -hmm. especially if you have or have had family in the area at the time of the fire. There's descriptions. There's age ranges. There's heights, weights, all this other good stuff because there's six people still that have just never been identified or claimed. Yeah.
0: And, of course, not mentioning the body parts. Thank you. That were... You know, pieces of people who were unidentified and lost in the fire that were not acknowledged Mm -hmm. by the investigators.
1: Right. And what's to say there weren't people who were just so burned that there was nothing really left of them that they weren't just tossed in an incinerator, too? Right. Absolutely. I think the death hole's a little bit higher. Fully agree. I would guess it's probably closer to
0: 200, would be my guess. Mm -hmm. And that, guys, for episode 100 is the Hartford Circus Fire a crazy story. And I'm glad we covered it.
1: I'm glad we covered it too. This has been on our list for a while. I think that it was such a big event that it really was a good one for episode 100. Mm -hmm. We like doing events anyway. Yeah, And yeah, if you guys want to know more about a fiery disaster, Station Nightclub Fire episode 73 was another one that we had done. And check out that website, truly, honestly. And we always, of course, want to hear your thoughts.
0: Take a look at Little Miss 1565. See if you think she looks like Eleanor Cook or if you think that was a false guess. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at True Crime all lowercase. And you can send us an email at True Crime Any at gmail.com.
1: We also, of course, have a website. You can go to our contact page where you can send us your questions, comments, concerns, thoughts about this case, other cases we have covered, perhaps the station nightclub fire, just because it's also a fiery event. Mm -hmm. You could also suggest cases to us based in New England, please. You can leave your name if you so choose. Be anonymous if you so choose. If you leave your name and we decide to cover the case you suggested, we'll get a little shout out. Just a little shout out. Another way to get a shout-out is to scroll even further down past our handy-dandy submission tool to our Buy Us A Coffee page. You can click the button that says thank you and buy us a coffee. Well, myself a coffee and Liz a non-coffee beverageino. But truly, 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 you do not have to spend your money, whether it's buying us a coffee, whether it's checking out our new merch. Woo! Which we highly suggest you check out. You don't have to spend money and literally check out if you don't want to. Right but just look into it we've spent a lot of work our lovely listener and friend mayor put their heart and soul into those designs thank you mayor but episode 100 you guys you guys have been here the entire time if you're just joining us welcome. welcome thank you so much you don't have to spend a cent for us to just really truly appreciate you guys and know that you're here with us that means the world to us and more truer words could never have been said And with that, we'll see you next week.
0: Bye. Goodbye.